Welcome to The Last Resort, the last place you'd look for legitimate sports opinions. I am your host, Spenny Harris. I am joined, as always, by my main man, Philly Brandon. Sporting an unusual non-Philadelphia background today. We will we will get into the New York Jets background later, but we have to start this show, Brandon, with an awesome interview that you and I just completed with Paul Hembo Hembikidis from Get Up on ESPN. He is Mike Greenberg's producer on the show. He has his own show on Get Up called Sneaky Hembo, and he might be pound for pound the best researcher ESPN has to offer. Oh yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't think that's up for debate. I'm sure he could research it for us if we asked. Yeah, that, yeah, he, he'd probably get that done in a second. So without further ado, enjoy this interview with Hembo from Get Up. All right, we welcome onto the podcast maybe one of the biggest guests in the history of The Last Resort. No offense to any of our former guests. Producer for Get Up on ESPN, Paul Hembo Hembikidis. How are you, Paul? I'm good, man. I, I'm, I have to say that your listeners are probably disappointed after that big introduction. It's me. It's not like Mario Lopez, but I look, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm happy to be on the, on the podcast. You guys, you guys do a good show, so it's good to be here. Mario's next week. He's, he's coming on, but we, yeah. we didn't want to you know, tease it. It's not that big of a deal. It's just Mario Lopez. You're the headliner. Okay. <laughs> good deal. No, more like, yeah, I'm the front man. I'm the guy that plays before the good man. All right. Crab warmed up. (laughs) (laughs) I want to start with a question on everybody's mind. I'm sure you get this all the time, but tell the audience what time are you going to sleep every night, and what time are you waking up in the morning in order to be ready for get up? Well, that's yeah, that's probably the most common question that I do field. So um, you're right in saying that. I wake up every day at about three thirty, and that has been the case for about five years. You guys probably know that I used to research Mike and Mike. And that show went on at six. The show goes on at eight, but there's a lot more production-wise that goes into a TV show, as you can imagine. So my alarm goes off at about 3.30 every day, and it has for five years. So this is just life now. I, 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 my wife and I, go when we go out, we do like the early bird special for dinner, and sometimes that's even too late for us. Like that's my life now. I just live, I just live like I'm 70, and I'm getting to the point now where I'm acting like I'm 70. Like today, I just spent like an hour walking around in my yard and I did nothing. So like, I'm just, I'm, do, I'm embracing, I'm embracing what, re, what retirement might be. And I'm doing it like 3.30 goes off. And I just like from then until the time the show starts, it's just a sprint and catch and get myself all caught up with what I missed the night before. Cause obviously you can't stay up and watch every sporting event. Cause otherwise, otherwise you'd be dead by Wednesday. At least you'll be ready for retirement, right? This is just good practice <laughs> to when you actually are 70, 75, you got, you got it down to a science. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with the early bird. You're saving all that money on dinner. I mean, that's that's economical. It's big, it's big time. There's never any crowds either. Um, although, I mean, obviously the clientele moves a little bit slower, but there's never any. <laughs> like, we're like we're we're there so early sometimes. We're like, are you guys serving the dinner menu yet? So like, this is the kind of life I live. So it's not quite as glamorous as it looks on TV. I can assure you. That was kind of an unfair question for me to ask because I actually did work a Mike and Mike radio show in 2015. I'm not sure if you were on this one, but let's see if you remember. So I went to UMass Amherst and I did a lot of volunteer work for ESPN Boston. Mike and Mike had a show at Gillette Stadium called Fright Fest. Actually, I should have worn my T-shirt. Um, but I had to be up at like 3 a.m., 2 a.m., drive, drive, you know, an hour and a half from, from Amherst to Gillette. And uh, it was one of the earliest I've ever woken up in my life for a job. But I'll tell you this. It, I was OK with it. Like once you're up that early, your body just kind of it, it's almost like 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 1, 2 p.m. ready at 5 a.m. So I, I, I got to <laughs> tell you, Paul, it was it was a wild experience as a college kid. But my favorite part of it all culminated when I met Mike Greenberg, he could not have been a more genuinely nice human being. Despite that day, he had lost a bet and he had to wear a Tom Brady jersey the entire show. So I guess my first question is, do you even remember this? Yes, but I would, that, that predates me just a little bit. Or if it, if it doesn't predate me, I, I certainly wasn't there. I would, have been, I would have been doing the show back in Bristol. But I do recall him wearing the, the uniform. I think he even wore the pads. Yep. And, and the eye black. And then when Robert Kraft came on, he made some sort of wise crack about how you know, uh, Greeny's wife, Stacy is going to you know, like him even more now because it was well documented at that point that she loved Tom Brady. So like, I remember that being a thing. Um, I also remember Greeny telling the story to where like Robert Kraft said, like, you can keep the helmet, you can keep, you know, the gear and like the, the Patriots uh, equipment stuff. Was like, no, you absolutely cannot. And then, obviously, <laughs> Robert Kraft uh, has the ultimate saying he owns the damn team. Right. So I, that's the only thing I remember from that. We always used to play that 
clip uh, on Best of Mike and Mike, you know, in, in these TV only um, segments. I remember the show, and it's 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 funny to hear that you worked it. That predates me just a little bit. I I want to say I hopped on that show, and like it was March of March of 2015. So it it would have been right around then. It would have been right around then. Robert Kraft was there. He walked off the set. I happened to be sitting like right where he walked past and he touched my leg. Just like, like, hey, what's going on? Touched my leg. And I thought to myself, that's what a billion dollars feels like right there. <laughs> I, I didn't shower for like three days. <laughs> well, um, that's, not, that's not uncommon for you. From yeah, that's not uncommon for me. That's, that's like uh, Monday to Wednesday for me. <laughs> <laughs> and that brings me up to my, to my follow-up question. And I, I already know the answer to this, Paul, but how great of a human being is Mike Greenberg? How awesome is it for you to get to work with him every single day? Awesome. I mean, he's Green is one of the good guys. And it takes it takes a special kind of relationship to be able to do that every morning for five years. Like when you do what like there have been so many people that have run through Mike and Mike and run through get up for a variety of reasons. But, you know, like it's in this business, people move all over the place, whether it be uh, within the company or outside of it. Like it's just not an old man's job. It's not a forever job for most people. So to be able to do that for five years with the same person every day for I mean, every day for four hours is pretty special. But we have uh, as good a working relationship um, you know, as you can imagine. And I'd like to think that we complement each other really well. Like I, I get to the point now where like I write and think the way he talks. Like that's like I, I'd imagine that infuriates my wife to be, to be totally honest. But like when I'm when I put together notes for him for you know whatever you know it might be that day. Like as I'm as I'm typing it out, I'm like, how is this guy gonna say this? Like we uh, he's so in my head at this point that I feel like I'm just living through him. I use like the same phrases that he says like when I'm like in the grocery store. Like it's just I'm I live, I'm living my life as like a as like a you know, pseudo broadcaster vicariously through this guy just because I've heard him say one million words. I'm I'm sure he would say the same about you. I'm sure a lot of hembo stuff rubs off on Greenberg. He's talking like you at the supermarket. His wife probably <laughs> thinks that she's she's also married to you. I totally get it. <laughs> It's funny. Yeah. Uh, I, I, he took me golfing uh, one time last year, and um, we, were, we were like sitting down to eat lunch. And he was like, you know, he's introducing me to these guys at the, at the club. He's like, this is the legendary Hembo, and like I was being treated like I was like I was royalty. Like, like you gave me a nickname. I know how to you know, I know how to find some stats on the internet. So now I'm a legend at this golf club. Like this is this is like what I what I tell people when people ask me like how how can you ascend at ESPN? I say okay, so get some famous person to give you a nickname and just say it a bunch of times on TV and the radio. And no matter how good you are at your job, you're just gonna keep getting promoted and getting opportunities. So that's obviously not the best thing to tell kids when like you're doing like the the whole like uh, college symposium thing. But that's what's worked for me. The the only reason I'm pessimistic about that for me is I can't play golf. I, I never could. I, I consider myself an athlete. I can play baseball, basketball, football, you name it. But the second I pick up a golf club, I have no idea what I'm doing. And I've never tried to learn it. So it just, you know, you're getting ahead by playing golf with Greeny. Unfortunately, unless I'm playing five on five with, <laughs> with someone at ESPN, I'm, I'm not going to get that exposure. I'm not, I'm not hitting it all that straight. You can fake it enough. And I, I like you as a former athlete. So every once in a while, you run into one and, and sort of deceive any, everyone into thinking you're good. But then I just wind up playing pitch and putt over, over you know, on the pine straw for, you know, 10 strokes in a row. And, just, I just, and you people just lose me for 10 minutes. That's, more, that's honestly a little bit more what you should expect out of my game. Well, we found out you were coming on. I mean, we had to do our research. We have ESPN's probably top researcher. And, I mean, your coworkers feel the same way about you. We found an article on uh, thebiglead.com. Um, it was an interview with uh, yourself and a bunch of other coworkers at ESPN where uh, Dan Orlovsky, one of my favorite guys, as a Carson Wentz defender till the end, um, get, up, get up regular Dan Orlovsky calls him the weapon. As big of a weapon as there is the network. If you can learn to speak his language and he yours, he becomes almost like Rain Man-esque. <laughs> Uh, and then there was a follow-up by uh, Greeny. He's everyone's right-hand man. There's no question to which the answer is not ask Hembo. Is that kind of <laughs> how you see yourself there? Are you like the secret weapon, the Swiss Army knife of ESPN? Um, I mean, that that those both of those quotes are are obviously very um, complimentary. I do think that there's some there's a lot of validity to what Dan said because um, so much of of research, so much uh, of doing what I do is just like to be informative. But like I think information is best used um, as a weapon, as 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 a as a means for or against a certain argument, or as a means of affirming or denouncing a certain observation that someone has. And that I think is the biggest difference when it comes to our show, and some of the people with whom I work on our show. Like there, it's it's easy enough if someone asks you the question, "When was the last time such and such thing happened?" or uh, "How many yards does so and so have?" But what's a lot more valuable in, in you know in in uh, today's world with all the information that we do have and the fact that 
uh, fans of all sports are just getting smarter and smarter because of it, is be able to answer the question how and why, right? And, and if I'm able to sort of hone in on, on that, the whole world opens up. Instead of being able to just give someone an answer to a question, you can open up something. You can, open, you can create a whole conversation with just one really cool stat. L. Duncan yesterday on Around the Horn reached out. She was like, how, how, can, we, how can we show how clutch the Braves have been late in games? So um, what we landed on was like after the fifth inning in the postseason, the Braves have outscored their opponents 15 to 1. 15 to 1, right? That means and, and, during, and, and during that time, Braves pitchers had faced 103 batters, one of them had touched home plate. Braves pitchers had allowed one run and faced 103 batters. That's an amazing thing, right? That's so much better to say than almost anything else you could say. And even if you made that observation, being able to use that nugget, and I just saw it, like Tony Reale, I think she got like 10 points on that. Mm-hmm. It's like, like the joystick was like, that, 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 right? And like, it, it made me feel so good because like just this one thing, right, can inform someone and use that information as a weapon. Um, and in this case, she wandered around the horn because of it. So uh, yes, I mean, that's a roundabout way of answering your question, but I, I do think information uh, can best be used uh, as a weapon for these people um, in ways that it's often not. Information can be used very strategically. And I think I'm getting to a place now where like, that's, that's, my, that's my goal is to, is to sort of affirm the opinions of these people with a, with a number or two, and then the whole world just sort of opens up to them. I hope she gave you credit for that victory on Around the Horn. She, uh, she did. She texted me immediately after. And oh, I've been on the show. Oh, she did. She says, okay. I saw the sneaky Hembo stat. And this thing is amazing. <laughs> he, he's, a, he's, the guy, he's the research god on Get Up. I thought that was a little bit much. But you know what? Uh, Greeny, Greeny calls me the Greek god of stats. So I guess this thing is sort of catching on. Michael, when you're referred to a god, how you're able to stay humble is, is beyond me. Well, I, I certainly am not. You can ask my wife. But my last name is Hembakitis, <laughs> after all. Like, I mean, this is uh, – it, it, it sort of writes itself. And when, I, I, when I play baseball, they call me the Greek god of walks, like Kevin Euclid, because I, I just never swung because I had no power. Oh, I love Uke. Uh, I, I'm a big Uke guy. Even though I'm a Yankees fan, I, I watched uh, – I watched Uke charge the mound when I was like 17 or 16 live in person. That was great. Against the Detroit Tigers, Rick Porcello was the pitcher. Fun fact. Kevin Euclid, I think I never saw a pitch that he liked. He never swung ever. But it worked for him. And, and back to the nuggets of information that you're pulling for these people. I, I wonder how many casual sports fans just use these statistics for their own personal arguments with their friends. Like how, <laughs> how, many, how many times has someone won a sports argument because they used a stat that Hembo pulled on GetUp? I'm, I'm sure uh, the number is in the millions. Well, perhaps, but like what is always like most uh, rewarding or satisfying for me is when I'll get a text from a buddy with like an ESPN update or like a tweet or a piece of information that they loved that was mine that they didn't know was mine. Because that's when I know it really hit. The other uh, way I know a, a number really hits is when the talent like won't believe it or like that, like the best stats are the ones that, oh, that can't be right. Those are the right. best numbers because, like, honestly, like that's that's the whole fun of this, right? Like, there, there's there's a million stats now, and there's so much like rope. This this happened, but like the numbers that are different, the numbers that make you say that, oh, that can't be right. That's when you know the stats good, and uh, obviously, those are the stats that do best on social too. All right, there you go, Hembo. I want to get into some NFL talk, specifically the NFC East, or yeah. some are some some are calling it this year the NFC Least. Mm. Before we get to your Philadelphia Eagles, I want to talk about several storylines quickly in the NFC least, starting with that awful Dak Prescott injury on Sunday. What was your reaction when you saw that injury live on TV? And what do you think the Cowboys will do regarding the future of Dak Prescott, his contract uh, situation, et cetera? Yeah. I mean, my reaction initially was the same as everyone else's, which was, uh, you know, a a pit in your stomach. Because though we root against Dak Prescott as, as Eagles fans, Dak has taken the uh, far more often than not. He's obviously endured a lot of personal tragedy too. And for a player on the franchise tag, that was actually my first thought. Once you got once you got behind, you know, beyond the shock is that this guy doesn't have any guaranteed money. And football's a ruthless game. Like you never know. Like what if he just doesn't ever turn into being the great quarterback that he you know is now ever again? Like you just you don't know how these things work out. We don't expect that to happen certainly. But had he received some sort of massive guarantee contractually, you'd feel a little bit better about his chances. I mean, ne- next year. The franchise tag hit would be 37-7, which would be a massive. It would be the third largest in NFL history. But the Cowboys might have to do it or might choose to do it because they might say to themselves, you know, we can't, we can't give this guy a long-term deal until we see it again. And they're obviously sort of painted – they sort of painted themselves into a corner um, in that sense. And once you get beyond that, 
the immediate thought we have as Eagles fans is, well, what does this mean for the nature of the, uh, you know winning this division? Because obviously, like you said, it's the NFC least. I like to refer to it as the ACC. But whatever, you, whatever you go with, like it's becoming very clear that that's a real possibility again for the Eagles, who are you know playing a lot better. And look, the Cowboys might still roll some with Andy Dalton because they have so much weapon, so much weaponry on offense, and they still can't stop anybody. But I mean, the rate the race here is going to be you know pretty pathetic. Only two teams have ever won their division with a sub 500 record. The Panthers did it in 2014. You might recall the Seahawks did it in 2010. Those are the Charlie Whitehurst Seahawks. Um, so like that's that's the level of how bad this division should be. I expect our our, our model FPI still says the Cowboys are the favorite. We, they have the Eagles finishing six nine and one, and and have them most likely finishing second in the division. Um, but obviously, it's probably going to come down to the head to heads, like it always does. Last year they split. If that happens again, it'll it'll obviously just depend on who beats up on the rest of the teams within the division. But the fact that the Eagles already banked a loss against Washington is a is a, is a tough putt. Yeah, one one of the craziest sound bites I heard from that moment was Tony Romo saying, "I hope oh. it's a cramp." I mean, so did everyone else watching, but I think clearly we all knew it wasn't a cramp. Uh, I, I want to move on to the New York Giants. That's my team. To be honest with you, Hembo, uh, are they truly screwed with Dave Gettleman at general manager? And does Daniel Jones scare you at all as the Giants' future quarterback right now? I mean, I think those are both those are both good questions. I think Dave Gettleman's ship has sailed. The Giants are the worst team in the NFL since he became their general manager, and it doesn't it doesn't appear obvious to me that they're trending in the right direction. Although I do think the Daniel Jones pick can pretty easily be reconciled, especially when you consider how bad Dwayne Haskins has played. But I don't think there's any question that if they wind up picking in the top two or three, they're going to have to think long and hard about a quarterback. And if they're in that position, I'm guessing Dave Gettleman won't be the person making that decision. So I'm still somewhat optimistic about Daniel Jones' chances. He has demonstrated high levels of quarterback play in spurts. For some reason, he just can't stop fumbling the ball. His pocket presence is god-awful. Um, we, we know that. At the same time, like they're not protecting him well. The defense stinks on ice. And like I'm... If I had to bet the amount of money that mattered to me, Gettleman wouldn't be the GM this time next year um, because like, there's just so much data that says he shouldn't be, uh, to be candid. And I'm guessing if they end up picking top three, they'll wind up taking one of these stud quarterbacks, even though that's totally unfair to Daniel Jones. Life isn't fair. We saw what happened this year in Washington. Uh, Ron Rivera took over. He looked for an excuse to bench Dwayne Haskins, and he did. So Daniel Jones has you know two-thirds of a season to prove it. And, I mean, he has that opportunity. There are some easy games, within the, uh, obviously, against bad defenses within the division. Um, but if I, had to, if I had to bet the amount of money that mattered to me, uh, Gettleman wouldn't be the GM this time next year. And either Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, or, or Trey Lance might be that team's quarterback next year unless uh, Daniel Jones demonstrates real growth uh, in, in areas he has not shown so far. Which New York quarterback has the brighter future right now, Daniel Jones or Sam Darnold? I mean, you're like asking me, like, would you rather get a root canal or have an appendectomy? I, yeah. I, I, actually, I actually think Sam Darnold's a more skilled player. Uh, okay. I think, I, yeah, I mean, that's like, – I think if – yeah, with all things being equal, I think Darnold would would beat out Daniel Jones in like a yeah. de facto quarterback battle. But obviously, there's so much context that goes with these things. Both of those guys are going to – their circumstances are going to look very different next year. I have a hard time seeing Adam Gase surviving this season too, considering how badly that team has performed and how uh, – I mean, like the, the Jets are have become a sort of a laughing stock. I mean, you see how well Ryan Tannehill is playing in Tennessee and the fact that they just cut Le'Veon Bell. There's a lot of evidence to suggest that Adam Gates is sort of in over his head too. So, I mean, both of those circumstances are disasters, and it wouldn't surprise me if they end up picking one too, and if both young quarterbacks are supplanted fairly or unfairly. All right, this next thing about the Washington football team, I just wrote, uh, Hembo, say something nice about the Washington football team. They have a, a really good uh, defense. Their front seven is legit. Chase Young, I think, is going to be a perennial pro bowler. And I think they probably should have drafted Tua or Justin Herbert. Because if they – if the leash was already this short with Dwayne Haskins, then why not take a quarterback there? Like, you had the opportunity to do so. Justin Herbert's shoving already. From all indications, Tua is a stud. And whenever the Dolphins choose to use him, the expectations are going to be high. So, in my judgment, anytime you have the opportunity to draft a quarterback, if you're not sold on yours, you got to do it. You just have to do it. And let's be honest. This seems a little bit – a little bit premeditated. The, the the Washington benched Dwayne Dwayne Haskins after his best game. So this was sort of like uh, in Chicago they decided to go to Nick Foles like arbitrarily in the middle of that game just so the GM couldn't tell him uh, not to do it. That, that's what this feels like to me. So if, if Rivera already had done his research and sort of had formed a, an opinion on that, it surprises me that they they didn't they didn't look to move on after Haskins trade him like the like the Cardinals traded Josh Rosen after year one and just move on. So. I'm not sure they're in a much better position than they were a year ago. I mean, obviously they're going to they're going to be able to play some defense, but in the NFL now that doesn't much matter if you can't score, you know, if you can't score points. 
I think you have to wonder if him being a Carolina guy, if Kyle Allen, if he believes Kyle Allen might be the guy. And that's why they didn't go out and draft somebody. That's fair. But on that same token, like Cam Newton was available the whole offseason. And Cam Newton's been great for the Patriots. And they chose not to sign him. It would have made a lot more sense to me. If you're trying to win now, it seems clear to me that you go to Kyle Allen because you think he gives you a better chance to win now because the division is so bad, right? So why not Sam sign Cam Newton for $1 million, pair him with a really good defense and give yourself a chance. Like that whole, that whole situation seems a little bit discombobulated to me. And I'm not sure if I was a fan of that team, I'd feel all that good about the direction given, you know, the last six months or so. Speaking of uh, teams trending in the wrong direction after success, um, we got to talk about the Eagles in the same context as the NFC least. I don't <laughs> like it as much as you do. Um, but let's just get, have to get out of the way early. What do you think is wrong with this Eagles team this season? That's a complicated question, and for most complicated questions, there are many correct answers. I think, like, even though this is an oversimplified take, it does all start with the quarterback, and we have to be honest with ourselves. Uh, by and large, Carson Wentz's play this season has not been satisfactory. Uh, he played the worst game of anybody in Week 1. When you combine his Week 1 and Week 2, he was probably the worst quarterback in the NFL entering Week 3. Just to be totally honest, the numbers and the eye test sort of match there. He has improved in every game this season and played a really good game against Pittsburgh with a depleted line and a, a real lack of weapons around him. So perhaps he's sort of, um, you know, sort of leaning into the situation and, and accepting the fact that he has to just sort of bear the load that he did the last month of last season. And perhaps he's hearing uh, you know, all of us idiots call the radio and saying, why did we draft Jalen Hurts if we're not going to play him when Carson Wentz is playing terribly? So I do think it starts with him and, and he needs to be able to, uh, like my argument for, for Carson Wentz has, has always been, I'm not worried about his best game because his best game is, is, is as good as Patrick Mahomes' best game and as good as Lamar Jackson's best game and as good as Russell Wilson's best game. My problem with Carson Wentz is that his average game isn't good enough. It's that his bad game isn't good enough. And that's what I saw. Like Carson Wentz lost week one by himself as far as I'm concerned. It's, it's totally inexcusable to take eight sacks in a game in which you don't throw the ball away one time. You can't give away games in the National Football League like that, and he has. But in his defense, uh, there's all sorts of injuries all over the field around him. Um, the Eagles have protected him better than, than, than Phil might suggest, I think. The numbers indicate that at least. Uh, and it is clear that right now he's just not on the same page with his tight ends. And look, his receivers are banged up. And he's turning Travis Fulgham into a stud, which is uh, a Travis Fulgham might be a stud. I mean, he, who knows? Who knows? Like, yeah. that's that, that is a, uh, and when you pair him eventually with Jalen Rager and Deshaun Jackson, we might have something here. But I do think there's a huge onus on the defense and, and the way that Jim Schwartz has handled this thing. Like, there is real regression there. The Eagles have not played well uh, in man, which is their base, obviously. Darius Slate so far has been sort of a highly paid disappointment, as best I can tell. And you can't have a front four that good and be that bad in coverage because the Eagles front four is ferocious. I mean, this is, this is a top 10 team on the line of scrimmage on offense and on defense. So generally speaking in football, if you have great big people on both sides, you're going to win some games. But for some reason, the Eagles are just so bad on the perimeter. Their linebackers are the worst unit as far as I'm concerned in the NFL. They can't guard anybody. Um, I mean, Claypool was running in the middle of the field uh, on Mark the whole game last week. And you saw the week before George Kittle was doing the same thing. Like we can't guard anybody. Um, no. with our linebackers. But I've also been really disappointed by, by Darius Slay, who we gave a lot of money to. And it's tough to see that with, with Sidney Jones playing so well uh, elsewhere and a few of these other guys. Like, there's, uh, there's a lot of data to suggest Jim Schwartz is sort of worn out as welcome. And it's, it's, it is incumbent on him to turn it around quickly, too, because there's enough talent on that defense to where, you know, they shouldn't be, they shouldn't be losing you games. But without having an offense or defense that ranks in the top half of the league to rely on, you're going to lose a lot of games because there isn't, there isn't that stopper. And that's, that is an enormous problem right now. And to me, like, using the excuse that, like, they could still win the division isn't, isn't good enough. Like, that's not no, – no fan – like, unless you're sort of in a rebuild, no reasonable fan should be like, oh, well, we can win six, six games to make the playoffs. Like, get out of here. Like, that's not – it just isn't good enough. And that's why when Doug Peterson said that a couple weeks ago, it bothered me to no end because that's not the message you're going to send to your football team. It's, it is your responsibility to play better and get better in relation to the league, not in relation to three teams in your division, which just so happened right now to be really bad. Yeah, I agree. Um... I have no problem with us squeaking out of the division. My issue is the same as yours, where if that's where this ride ends. So if we win the NFC East, get blown out and go home, that playoff appearance doesn't make me feel any better. Um, I wish, I, I almost wish we hadn't made the playoffs last year because it would have forced the organization to make um, wholesale changes. I mean, this team is 5-8-1 and one outside of the division over the last two seasons. Like, they can't, they, they have, they've beaten some good teams, but generally speaking, the evidence suggests this is a pretty average football team that's benefited a lot from an average or below average division. And I think you like if you're in the front office, like it is not your responsibility to evaluate 
yourself against just three teams that happen to be bad right now. Like even uh, under Andy Reid during the early 2000s when the Eagles were winning division after division and the division was bad, at least the Eagles were advancing in the playoffs and, and giving themselves an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl. The Eagles were probably not even among the 15 best teams in the NFL last year and right now aren't anywhere close to that even though they're atop their division. So um, I have a fundamental problem with using the division as a crutch. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of cool with it as, as a baseline. Like that's, that's where you start. But this team is a win now team. It's not. It's it's just it's just not good enough to me, and I don't like that messaging from the from the coach or from the fan base. It makes no sense to me. Well, I had a whole Eagles segment with a whole bunch of questions panned out, but the researcher out researched myself, and you answered every one of my questions just about by accident. Uh, so we're gonna move on, and we'll end the pod by um, me and Spence putting on our uh, our Mike Greenberg hats, and we're gonna do our own uh, sneaky Hembo time here. <laughs> we try and stump Hembo, okay. if that's cool so, with you. So so to be clear. Um, you guys are asking me trivia questions, and I'm going to do my best to – okay, Indeed. got it. I'm glad, I'm, glad, I'm, glad, I'm glad that you guys like the segment. This I don't exactly remember how, like, it was nicknamed. Like, it just sort of happened. Um, he just kept saying it every day. So then I just started to put it in the script, and now it's like – now it's a thing. Um, my, my, my number one nemesis, as you've probably learned, is Dan Graziano, who is an absolute savant. That guy. No, one, no one's better than that guy. He has but the number. He missed it today. It was Earl today. Campbell. He got it wrong. He got it wrong. I think right now I'm in his head. Like right now, I think he's Jose Altuve and I'm the baseball. Like he's got the yips. He's overthinking it. And that's and that's part of the that's part of the fun here. Like it's not just a matter of asking a straightforward question. You got to play mind games with these people, right? So like I asked a question today, like who is the uh, such and such a stat in Titans history? So then it makes him think like, well, is this going to include the Oilers? And then why is he asking me this question? Is it rundown related? Is it not? Is, is there something coming next that's going to tie it together? So like right now, like I, I have him just eating out of my hand. But by and large, uh, he has taken me to the woodshed, woodshed more often than not you're living rent free up there at the moment but no we're doubt. gonna try and sneak we got three we're gonna try and slip one past you that'd be okay. a victory for the last resort listen, here listen listen before you start like people always assume that like i know everything and that's not true like i just know how to find everything that's my job like like there, there's no purpose of me not looking something up when i like we want to be 100 right so like i don't I, it's not like I'm pulling these trivia questions every morning and thinking to myself, like, like I, I'm not like I always, I always check it, I always look it up because like that's how, the the curiosity part of it's the most important thing. Like, if I didn't know something before, that means most people probably did it, and thus might make a good trivia question. So uh, have at it. We'll see how I do. By the way, right. feel feel free to use any of these for get up. <laughs> okay. uh, all right, I'll, 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 I can certainly I'll certainly consider that. Obviously, though, if Graziano's there, it might have to be rundown related. <laughs> All right, so Chase Claypool dropped four touchdowns on us the other day. Who was the last NFL rookie to score four touchdowns in a single game? The last NFL rookie to score four touchdowns in a single game. I don't know. I'm going to have to guess. I know Gale Sayers is the only rookie to score more than four. That's not what you asked, though. My, my, guess, is going to be, my guess is going to be Chris Johnson of the Titans. All right, we're one for one. Joseph Adai did it in 2006 as a rookie. Joe, Joseph Adai. I, I don't know if you have the list handy. I don't know if Chris Johnson did it or not. I don't know why that was something I thought. I, I remember him having some monster game, but that's a tough question. That is a tough question. Um, you, would, you would have to be a Colts fan, I think, and remember that to, to pull that. So, okay, you're not taking it easy on me. All right, I'm one for one. All right, oh, we, no. we, got, we, we got two more. I, I think you'll get one of these two, maybe even both. Here's the we'll first see. one. We'll see. On December 11th in the 2016 season, Le'Veon Bell broke the Steelers' single-game rushing record, going for 236 yards on 38 carries. Whose previous record of 223 yards in a single game did he break? And this is obviously another player on the Steelers. Uh, who held the Steelers' single-game rushing record before Le'Veon Bell did? Correct. It's a straightforward question. I also don't know the answer. I don't remember him breaking the record. So, um the Steelers have a bunch of great running backs historically. Obviously, Jerome Bettis would be a good option. Um, Franco Harris would be a good option. But for some reason, I don't think it's either one of those guys. I'm going to guess the answer to that question is Willie Parker. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you man. go. That was it. Willie what, Parker what, in I, 2006 just, against the Browns. I, you just – this just filled me with life. I feel like I'm just blasting Evanescence right now in my car. That was so <laughs> – like that was so satisfying. That was so satisfying. That was as satisfying as it as when Graziano is like waffling on two. Guess guesses the the one that's not correct, and I just I'm over there just fist pumping, you know, for the rest of the morning. That was awesome. All right, let's break the tie here. All right, yeah, rubber match one. What a pull! All right, this one's gonna be a who am I? I played five seasons for the Philadelphia Eagles with 184 catches, 
14 touchdowns and appeared in the Super Bowl. Who am I? Okay. Give me the criteria one more time. I, I've, I've narrowed it down to a couple guys in my head. Okay. So five seasons with the Eagles, 184 catches, 14 touchdowns, and appeared in a Super Bowl. Okay. Um, so five seasons. So this is not going to be a stud because if you've caught 184 passes in five seasons, it means you're probably a three. Um, if he appeared in the Super Bowl, yeah. Uh, so the first person I thought of, you know what? I'm going to go with it. The answer to this question is Greg Lewis. Now we ah. win this round. Todd Pinkston. Todd Pinkston. Did Todd Pinkston appear in the Super Bowl in 2004? He yeah. did. He made four receptions for 82 yards and was forced to leave the game with leg cramps. I remember this because he, he, he caught like a pass like way out in front of him and then like off balance stumbled for like 20 yards. You know, I would have thought he had more than 184 catches. I do remember there being a time when I was listening to WIP every day and uh, fans were calling in and complaining about James Trash and Todd Stingston. Um, that was really <laughs> sort, of, sort of like my, my Eagles fandom prime there. But that's a good pull. Greg Lewis caught a touchdown pass in that game, and I'm guessing that you would have included that in your criteria. So that's a shame on me for not getting it. But Todd Pinkston, Todd Pinkston never crossed my mind. Uh, another another uh, player I thought of was LJ Smith, another random pull. But uh, I don't even know if he caught 884 passes with the Eagles. So very well done. Uh, two for three ain't bad for you, boy. Thank you. Thank you very much. Paul, this has been an absolutely awesome interview. Thank you so much for coming on with us. Uh, before we signed off, me being – I'm from Delaware County, just south of Philadelphia. You being yeah, from I can Philly, tell by your accent. Yeah. I, I get that a lot. That's why yeah. the name is what it is. Um, but the last, the last resort podcast is one to throw our support behind the LaSalle baseball program. Uh, as I'm sure you know, they're cutting sports programs left and right. Um, I had a bunch of friends that came through LaSalle, played for LaSalle, opened up a lot of opportunities for them. So we just wanted to pledge our support here that LaSalle deserves to continue on. And let me just share a quick story for you. You might not know this about me, but I spent two years at LaSalle. Um, of course I was, uh, I was a graduate assistant there. I worked in the sports information office. And in both of those years, I was the SID for the baseball team, um, which, which is to say I probably sat um, in a – I sat in like this little uh, – almost like a hut um, – and like right outside the, the, the baseball field. And I did like the PA, like now batting for the Explorers, you know, number 15. And like with the iPod that did like the walk-up music and I scored the game on my computer. And uh, we, there was never one game that, in which I did not completely freeze. Uh, obviously, baseball in March in the Northeast is brutal. But I would second my thoughts in saying I had an extraordinary experience. I, I never played for the team, obviously. But I, I mean, I was, I was there for every game for two years. And I loved it. I traveled with those guys. I had the opportunity to see uh them all like you know all spring long in both years uh and it was it was wonderful so to see sort of the outpouring of support on social media for those guys and i've i don't know if you saw my timeline on twitter i retweeted a bunch of things that mm -hmm. that you know hopefully sort of gets that ball rolling um this is a tough time for athletic programs but also like you think about it as a student athlete i played um college baseball at the division two level and the idea of that getting ripped out from under you because of this would be pretty devastating so it's a good cause that you guys are supporting um you're not. You, you, I mean, I'm. I, I have. I'm not still so close with many of those people. But for two years, I was there every day. So um, it's very kind of you to say, and I'm glad that you guys are on that bandwagon. Hopefully, you guys can carry it through all the way. There you have it, Hembo. We thank you so much for coming on the show. It was an absolute blast. You're welcome back anytime. You can follow Hembo at Paul Hembo on Twitter and watch Get Up on ESPN every morning weekdays at 7 a.m. Eastern. Thanks again, man. We really appreciate it. Later, boys. All right, that was Paul Hembo Hembikitis. He is the producer for the ESPN morning show Get Up with Mike Greenberg. Brandon, that was that was a, a lot of fun. Man, I couldn't take notes fast enough. I mean, that dude was just spitting information left and right. I mean, he really just gave us every single reason why the Philadelphia Eagles stink. Yeah, I mean, hey, look, we're passionate fans, but we're accurate. Like, when it's bad, we'll tell you it's bad. I mean, that's that's the problem with, I think, the Giants fans is – there is a large portion of us that say this franchise stinks. We've lost our identity. Tear it down. And then you have this small group, and it was everyone who supported Eli Manning until his last snap in the NFL. They're the same people who are saying, eh, we're a receiver away. You know, Daniel mm -hmm. Jones is, is the future. Saquon will be back. Let's get, uh, you know, let's, let's get someone like a, Ty a Tyree Kill or uh, a Kenny Galladay, and then the Giants will be good. You guys are crazy. The Giants are about 51 players away from being a good football team. 
chill out with that. I'm sure you 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 get the same with Eagles fans. See, the difference with Eagles fans is while while we're watching the game, so let's say Sunday through the following Thursday, we hate everything and everybody. Run when Thursday rolls around, we start getting back to okay, maybe this we can turn it around. The issue being when you talk about that small pot of fans who just can't get real, that's our front office. I'd rather have that be the fans than our general manager. I totally understand. Well, well listen, let's let's get into these these few segments we have. The first one is called the goddamn Jets. So, Brandon, we mentioned in the beginning of the episode that you were sporting a New York Jets background. You took it down for the Paul Hembo Hembakitis interview because obviously you didn't want Hembo to know how bad of a gambler you are. And you have it back up now. You said last week the Jets would cover plus seven points against the Arizona Cardinals. I said you were crazy and I gave you a rule. What was the rule, Brandon? Never bet the Jets, never bet the Falcons. I was right. You unfortunately lost the bet, and that is why you are currently sporting a New York Jets background. Thank God, because I did not want to sport an Eagles background for any podcast ever, so so thank God I won that bet. Talk to me about how disappointed you are in Joe Flacco. Um. Okay, so I'm, gonna, I'm not a parent, but this is how I think they feel. Um, I'm not angry at the Jets because the Jets were being the Jets. I'm disappointed that Joe couldn't dial it up one more time for me. Um, I'll admit it was a bit of a homer pick. Joe went to UD. I went to high school in Delaware. I was watching Joe and, you know, play. Um, so I really just thought he had, you know, one game. Just give me one game, Joe, where you explode. Um, and he did. He exploded for a whopping 10 points, and they got their ass kicked up and down the football field. We got to get to the real goddamn Jets portion of this segment, and that is the New York Jets – Earlier this week, released running back Le'Veon Bell. So Le'Veon Bell is a free agent currently. He can be picked up by any team in the NFL. In the same year, Brandon, the Jets have lost Jamal Adams to a trade and Le'Veon Bell, two guys who are arguably the two biggest names on the football team. And Adam Gase is still the head coach. What the fuck is going on with New York Jets football? How is he still the head coach? Why did they sign Le'Veon Bell in the first place? I'm not even a Jets fan, and I'm just fucking confused as to what's going on with that franchise. Okay, so um, if I had to take a stab at answering this and trying to get into the psyche of the Jets organization, I will say this. Joe Douglas is a very good GM as far as player acquisition goes. Um, he built the Eagles Super Bowl team. It's become more and more apparent he's the only one who built that team because Howie Roseman has proved inept. So I think what is happening is he's cutting his losses. Um, he got rid of two very good football players who wouldn't play for Gase anymore. Um, Jamal Adams and Gates obviously had their beef. He had beef with a lot of people, though. Um, Lev Bell, less understandably to me. Um, I think if Gates had used him somewhat responsibly, Lev would have been happy there. I think Gates leaves this offseason. I don't think firing Adam Gates right now does you any good. The team sucks no matter what. Um, but I think he goes this offseason. I think Joe starts building the team from this season forward, hopefully getting somebody who knows how to coach Sam Darnold. Yeah, that's the problem because this is Darnold's third year and this is his second year with Adam Gase, correct? Yes. If you have to get another head coach, that will be his third head coach in the first four or five years of his career, which is not ideal for any quarterback. No, it is. I mean, it's certainly damaging. Um, but fortunately for him, Ryan Tannehill exists. Uh, so there is proof that you can be broken by Gase and resurrected. Um, but I do think they need to get... The, the words thrown around way too often, but they need to get a quarterback guru. Uh, quarterback whisperer sounds creepy to me. I don't like using that word, um, but they need a quarterback guru. You're really turned off by the term quarterback whisperer? I don't like it. My, I mean, my, in fact, my mom watches the dog whisperer, and I, I just I can't disconnect the two. I don't want my quarterback. I don't want my coach training my quarterback. They should be equally. You you just you just imagine Adam Gase whispering in Peyton Manning's ear. Okay, we're gonna run the seam route. Okay, I want you to hit. I want you to hit Demarius Thomas up the middle, like like something like that. Have you? I mean, have you looked at Adam Gase just existing? I don't want him whispering anything to me <laughs> ever. Yeah, that's, that's a good point, Brandon. Let's move on to my favorite segment of the week. You keep the money. 
I'm going to list every single line for the NFL games, and you and me are going to pick, and everyone who listens will be able to keep the money they earn on gambling. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right, we start with your Philadelphia Eagles. Seven and a half point underdogs against the Baltimore Ravens, and they're at home. Take the Eagles to cover. Um, the link being full can't be underestimated. Well, full, 7,000 people. Yeah, I got the Ravens minus seven and a half in this game. I just think this is one of those games. The Eagles have been in some close games in the last few weeks. I think the Ravens continue what they're doing. They blow them out the water. I got Ravens minus seven and a half. We move on to Browns at Pittsburgh. This is the big rematch of the Miles Garrett hitting Mason Rudolph in the head with his helmet game. Uh, Steelers are three-point favorites right now. Who do you like in this game? Um, I like the Steelers. I also don't think that happens with Big Ben back there. I, I wouldn't go. Have you seen Big Ben? He's looking thick lately. <laughs> like I wouldn't. I wouldn't test him. Yeah, I don't think that the Browns have played someone like the Steelers yet. I mean, uh, who'd they play? They played the Ravens in Week One, one right? That's their only loss. So I think that the Steelers will win this game. As as great as the Browns have been, I think their lack of a passing game kind of catches up to them this week. I have the Steelers covering the three. Uh, Colts Bengals. Colts are home, and they are the eight point favorites in this game. I think yeah, Colts on the points. All right. I bet on the Bengals last week. They were plus 11 and a half against the Ravens. I lost that bet. Joe Burrow had the worst game of his NFL career. The Ravens defense made a lot of plays. I like the Bengals to bounce back this week. I think that they're going to cover. I think they actually might win this game. I think eight points is a lot. I don't think that the Colts have that great of an offense. Uh, as long as the Bengals don't turn the ball over, I think they'll, they'll be better. Um, I don't know what the status of AJ green is. I'm not sure. I, I saw he was injured last week, but then I saw also, he kind of gave up on, on a few plays in that game. So it's going to be interesting to see if, if he suits up this week or if he demands a trade, the but I like AJ green is getting me the fuck up out of here. Yeah. I, uh, I, I like the Bengals to cover. All right. We move on to the Falcons and the Vikings. Raheem Morris will coach his first game as the interim head coach for the Falcons. The Vikings are four point favorites. Atlanta's a dumpster fire. Give me the Vikings. Yeah. I mean, you got to buy my, my rule. Never bet the Falcons. Yeah. And I don't think this is an exception. I got the Vikings minus four. Uh, Bears, Panthers. Bears are one and a half point underdogs, and the game is in Carolina. The Panthers in this one. Okay. I like the Bears in this game. I think that the Bears come come through. They they play tough. They had a big win against the Bucks last week. Um, I, I like what Nick Foles is doing. I can see the Bears actually being a team that might go out and sign a Le'Veon Bell to help out with David Montgomery. I like the Bears covering the point and a half. Uh, Washington football team, two and a half point underdogs against the New York Giants in New York. Who do you like in this game? God, uh, darn. are they making people watch this game? Is it televised? I will be watching this game. You, you bet your bottom dollar I'll be watching this game. Ah, uh, man. You know what? Give me Washington. All right, Just fuck you. you. Fuck you. <laughs> Give me the New York Giants. I think this is the week they win. You cannot lose this many games in a row and consider yourself an NFL football team. Like, you have to win this game. The, the, the Washington football team, their quarterback situation is in disarray. Alex Smith played last week, and he got sacked like 100 times. I like the Giants' chances in this game. They've been getting close. They haven't closed it out. I think that they close it out this next week, and they will win by more than three. Okay, Texans plus three and a half in Tennessee, playing the undefeated Titans. Who do you like in this game? Titans by a whole lot more than that. I'm going to agree with you. No, not, not much else to say. We move on to the Broncos at New England. This is the game that was rescheduled. New England is giving 10 points. Um, yeah, to, to my knowledge at least, Drew Locke isn't back yet. Um, is Cam? Cam is, is off the COVID-19 list. I think he's practicing, and he should be able to play this Sunday. I, if, yeah, if Locke's not playing and Cam is, I think they cover that. Yeah, I agree with you. 10 points, Bill Belichick against a team with, with virtually no quarterback. Even It is in New England. Uh, Lions, Jaguars. Jaguars are home, and they are three-and-a-half-point underdogs. You're rolling with the Jags, right? Yeah, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. Yeah, we, we both like the Jags here. I mean, how can you root against Gardner Minshew? That's your guy. Matt Patricia, worst coach left in the NFL besides Adam Gase. We both like the Jags, plus three and a half. Jets, Dolphins, speaking of Adam Gase, this is the Adam Gase revenge game. Dolphins are nine and a half point favorites at home. Okay, here's the problem. That's too much. The Dolphins will win and Adam Gase will not get his revenge because Fitzmagic has turned the clock back a bit, but that's too much. 
Yeah, I I have to go with the Dolphins. I know the spread is crazy. I just the Dolphins defense is very good. And how much better is Joe Flacco than a banged up Jimmy Garoppolo? I'm not sure. I do like the Dolphins to cover this this large nine and a half point spread. All right, only four o'clock game on Sunday. It's the Packers and their one point favorites in Tampa Bay. I'm going to take the Packers on that one. Um, Aaron Rodgers has looked vintage. They found new uh, new weapons. Uh, their tight end is the stud. Uh, his name I can't. Tonkin? Tunyon. Tonkin? Yeah, Rob. It's it's R. Tunyon. I think it's Robert. I don't want to. I don't want to get his first name wrong. But I think his last yeah, name is Tunyon. Three TDs last game. Uh, Green Bay found the rushing attack. I think Green Bay. I got the Buccaneers in this game only because they lost a close one against the Bears. You know Tom Brady is going to come back pissed off this week. And the Packers, they're a team that, like the Seattle Seahawks, they need to lose. Like, I I know they're undefeated. I know it sounds stupid to say they need to lose, but they need to get hit in the mouth. I think that the Buccaneers will do just that. Um, Although I've been getting updates, I don't think Mike Evans is practicing yet, which is a little bit scary if you're Tom Brady and you're going to have to possibly play without Godwin and Evans. Uh, So I would keep I I would keep that monitored. But if one of those guys play, I think the Bucks will will cover that that point spread. Are there there? I think they take Nick's living rent free in Tom's head right now. Dude, what was with them not shaking hands last week? I mean, Tom Brady, come on. You're you're better about it. He's never shaken Nick Foles hand. Bro, when I get my ass kicked by my little brother in one-on-one basketball or NBA 2K21, we always pound afterwards. There's a mutual respect there. Pound fists, yes, indeed. <laughs> Slap hands. Uh, we have <laughs> the Los Angeles Rams. They are 3.5 favorites against the Niners, and they're playing in San Francisco. Who do you like in this game? Well, assuming that the Niners QB situation is still murky um, between a healthy beat hard and a beat up Garoppolo, um, I think the Rams with the points. Yeah, I, I think the Rams are just one of those teams that they figured it out this year. They had an off year last year. McVay's got that offense looking great. Goff had a beautiful pass to Robert Woods this week. Last week, it was Cooper Cup against the Giants, who had a ridiculous like 70, 80-yard touchdown. And their running game, they have three guys who can run the ball pretty effectively. I like the Rams, uh, minus three and a half in this one. Monday night football, we have two games. We start with Kansas City in Buffalo. The Chiefs are a four-point favorite coming off a loss last week against the Raiders. Who do you like in this game? I I like the Chiefs in this game. Um, had the Buffalo-Tennessee game not gone the way that it did, um, I might have picked Buffalo. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to agree with you. I like the Chiefs. Both teams coming off a loss. I think that KC is going to have just a little more fire than Buffalo. I, and, and Buffalo, their running game sucks right now. Devin Singletary is not very good. TJ Yeldon's their backup right now. I think Moss is, is out, so it'll be interesting. And, and, and I think that they Kansas City is a team that can force Josh Allen to make a few mistakes. Uh, and then finally, the last game, 8-15 on Monday night, Cardinals at Cowboys. This will be Andy Dalton's first game as the starting quarterback for the Cowboys. Cowboys are two-point underdogs. That's it? Yep. With their defense and Arizona's offense? Yep. Two-point underdogs, Cowboys plus two. Oh, that's, that's an easy, easy, easy bet. It's Arizona. Um, I'm going to think about this for two seconds, and I'm going to say... Arizona will cover. Yep, yep, yep. I don't I don't love the Cowboys. They're going to rely too much on Zeke. Arizona is going to stuff the box. You're going to have to make Dalton beat you. Uh, and while I think Dalton was, was great in beating the Giants, I don't think he repeats. I think that the Arizona pass rush gets to him, and I can see the Cardinals winning this game 26 to like 10 or something. I got the Cardinals. All right, Brandon, let's move on to a segment I like to call, how's your fantasy team doing? So I'll go first. Uh, we're four and one. We kept Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf from last year. We drafted Chris Carson. So we essentially bet on Seattle's entire offense and they score like a hundred points a game. So we have literally ran through almost everyone in the league. I think the one game we lost, we lost by like two points. My fantasy team's doing great. Brandon Stefan Diggs. Uh, yeah, I drafted Saquon number two overall. He's on the IR, but I can't complain about a four and one record. How about yourself? Let me tell you, I mean, this, my team is the definition of the next man up mentality, even in fantasy football. So Michael Thomas, my automatic first pick every time, haven't really seen him yet, but that was fine. You know, we weathered the storm. I got super lucky. Robbie Anderson's popped off this year. 
Um, Adam Thielen, remember, had to catch a football. So he's number two right now on ESPN. And then I have Stephon Diggs. So I have three top ten wideouts. Mark Andrews is top five tight end. And then we're just getting random contributions. Devontae Freeman came through for me on the Giants, came out of absolutely nowhere. Kyler Murray's exploding. Um, Austin Eckler is my lead back. He's down. So we've weathered a lot of injuries, and we're three and two. Uh, put up 160 points last week. There you go. Uh, yeah, so the backups are rolling. Look at you, you little fantasy football guru, you. All right, we move on to a segment I like to call Chill Out, LeBron Haters. Uh, LeBron James, obviously, he won his fourth ring with the Lakers on Sunday. They beat the Miami Heat. To the Lakers, congrats. Lakers fans everywhere, congrats, Brandon. I know you're really enthusiastic about this. The I have one- no beef with the Lakers. I saw a tweet <laughs> um, the other day that just pissed me straight off, all right? So we're in the middle of a pandemic. I get it. Look, if, if, the, if the Eagles, Flyers, Phillies won a Super Bowl, World Series, whatever, like, we're out there partying. Don't get me wrong. My issue is somebody tweeted, we waited 10 years for this shit. You think L.A. wouldn't be live? And to that person... Do you think you've do you think you've been through something? Ten years between titles? Are you kidding me? I've been waiting since the eighties. I wasn't even alive when the Sixers won their last title. You want to know something sad? I, I, do you did? Could you tell how old the person was who tweeted it? I mean, he literally was like late twenties, probably. Dude, they're they're probably not even a sports fan. Like the people in LA, they're they're so engulfed in the Hollywood celebrity LA California vibe. When the Lakers are losing, you won't hear anything from LA fans because they're not real diehard fans. It's different with us Philly and and New York guys. We endure that pain. Lakers fans like to pretend that sports aren't really a thing until the team wins a championship. Then all of a sudden, everyone in Los Angeles, every every reality TV star turns on the the championship game. Right? It's it's an LA thing. So I don't I don't consider LA fans like real um, unless they're over the yeah. age of like fifty or sixty. It's like a nightlife thing for them. They're like, oh, did you hear the championship parade going on? Oh, it's good dressed up, have some champagne and go to the parade. Like, fuck off. <laughs> so this brings me to my original point. And basically, the negativity and hate that I have seen all on social media coming from NBA analysts. Most Spates was the most recent guy to take a shot. He at got LeBron- off Twitter. Right. But, but, but taking a shot at LeBron James, I, I understand in most circumstances – why would you take a shot after the guy after he just won his fourth ring with his third different team? How can you argue that that's not impressive in this NBA Orlando bubble where everyone was on edge, where, I mean, guys were not seeing their families. I mean, people want to put an asterisk next to this championship. Yeah, I think you should put an asterisk next to how much of a mental toll it took on guys. You know, these are guys that are used to living, you know, in in, in the most comfortable of conditions. I'm not saying that the Disney resorts were uncomfortable, but... I mean, by God, like you can shit on the guy every single day for the next few months, but don't do it the week after he just won the championship. Like for most spates to say he's unimpressed with it, for these for these fans to call out LeBron saying, oh, he's four and six in the finals. He just uh, you're right. You're absolutely right. But it's one of those things. You know, it's all about the narrative. People always shit on LeBron. They say he's insecure. They say he's sensitive. Skip Bayless's biggest point is, oh, real goats don't have to bring it up, blah, blah, blah. He's so into himself. He's so insecure. It shows that he's not the goat. But we pretend like we weren't enamored by Michael Jordan getting pissed off that Charles Barkley or Karl Malone won the MVP those seasons. He used that as motivation. Why is it that LeBron James is insecure and sensitive when he brings up the haters and the doubt that people have in him? But when Michael Jordan does it, it's it's a totally different meaning and it's a totally different concept. I I, I just I hate that irony that and I brought this up on on a, a radio show I, I was on yesterday. There's so many similarities between the two in regards to their mindset. And we, we tend not to not to talk about it or, or not to think about it because we believe this narrative that Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. And no matter what LeBron James does, he just won't get there. And, and I think it's silly to think that way. There's going to be a lot of people who, when the Michael Jordan, when the LeBron James documentary comes out, are either going to be hypocritical um, and tell their kids about how they got to witness the greatest player ever play the sport. Or are just going to have a bitter existence. Like, we didn't just watch 10 weeks of must-watch television. And that was the middle of the pandemic. I looked 
forward to that weekly. I postpone things to watch Michael Jordan play basketball again. And the same thing is going to happen when, when LeBron is eventually out of the league one day. I mean, we're all going to want to see him play one last time from the old tapes. And the people who are saying, you know, I'm not impressed or I'm not this, don't watch. Don't come back around when the narrative has changed, when we're all appreciating the greatest after the fact and say that he's this or he's that. Like, Mo Spates, to me, was a barely relevant as an NBA player, less relevant as an analyst, in my opinion. He saw this as his chance to get in the spotlight. It went is, is, he even, is he even an analyst? I, every, anybody can be an analyst at this point. <laughs> um, but he got run off of Twitter onto private mode. Uh, Skip Bales is the same way. He's clickbait, in my opinion. Um, I don't think he believes half the shit he says. But, but, but again, it's, guy, not, it's not just these two guys. It's all the fans. No, it's, 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 it's everybody. Yeah. No, I know what you're saying. Um, but you got to give the guy his credit. Um, whether you believe he's the best to ever play, that's a, per, that's a matter of personal opinion. Um, but the amount of people who are saying that he isn't great or he would be great if he did this, he has nothing left to prove to any of us mortals. He's doing things on a basketball court on a consistent basis that we've never seen happen. So a few things. Yes, you are 100% right. Um, there are people that will just not change their minds about LeBron James no matter what he does. And until he got to Cleveland and won the championship, I think every single criticism about LeBron, he joined a big three. He's never actually won a meaningful championship. I thought those were relevant points up until he came to Cleveland and he won with Kyrie and Kevin Love. That, to me, put him... If you want to say ahead of Kobe next to Michael, fine. I know, I know there are certain people who will not put him ahead of Kobe because Kobe's got five and they were just they were different types of players, but we're not having that conversation. Then he goes and wins this championship. Brandon, if he wins another one or two championships, that's going to be five or six. It's going to be very hard to say that he isn't on the same level as Michael Jordan. Um, and and yeah, it, I had another point. It totally slipped my mind. Let's move on because it just, it just gets me heated talking about just the total hate that LeBron gets. And again, I am actually a Michael Jordan guy, but I'm also someone who, who, who believes in the eye test. Oh, I remember I was, what I was going to say. Jimmy Butler was so gassed. It came out recently. I don't know if you saw this. He was so gassed after that game five win. In game six, he really had nothing left in the tank, which was a big reason why the Lakers got out to a huge lead and essentially ran away with that game. LeBron James has been doing this for 15 years. Have you ever seen him run out of gas besides the occasional, you know, cramp in, in game five or six of an NBA finals? That to me, like what, what Jimmy Butler was able to do, and then he just ran out of gas in that game six, that to me just speaks to LeBron's greatness. So that, that was my yeah. final LeBron point. It shows you, um, yeah, my dad and I used to, like, we, my dad and I watched high school football whenever we get the chance, just for the hell of it. Um, and the school I went to and the school he went to, we always get called Slazy Adam High School in Wilmington. Um, and they were a powerhouse in football for the longest time. We had Troy Reader, who's playing for the Rams. We had Brian O'Neill, all-pro tackle uh, with the Vikings, a bunch of other guys. And we'd always say how our B game was enough to beat these other teams playing A++++ football. And that's kind of how LeBron is, too. He had a very good series, but he never had to take over. He was kind of... He was on cruise control on the highway. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And it took everything Jimmy Butler could muster within himself, a guy who trains from 2 a.m. till sundown, to come close to beating him, and he still couldn't do it. It almost reminds me of, like, if you're in camp, right, and you're playing a game of dodgeball or something, and the camp counselor is on your team. Obviously, he's the best dodgeball player. He's not going to do it all for you. He wants you guys to succeed. He wants Brandon to get some guys out. But he'll be in there hitting five or six guys a game doing his part. That's LeBron James. He was the camp counselor for all mostly young guys. And, and if you want to say Rajon Rondo was like a vice camp counselor, I would agree with you there. I'm a Rajon Rondo fan um, since the Bulls years. But he had a really great <laughs> quote, and he was like, that, those are some rough times. Um, but he said, if you put – I knew when you put me and LeBron on a court together in a series – no team was going to outsmart us four times before we outsmarted them. And he's right. He's not the most talented NBA player ever. I mean, he's the assist guy. But you can never say that he doesn't know the game of basketball inside out and backwards. If just when you watch him play. Maybe that'll be, uh, I don't think Rajon Rondo is a Hall of Famer. But if he was, that would be his Hall of Fame induction. Rajon Rondo, the assist guy. Yeah. I would love he's, that. He, he's your buddy at the club who's like 5'6" kind of a rough haircut, but he's just dishing out dimes to all the boys. He goes home alone, but none of the boys go home alone. 
that's where he's wow. at. Wow. Wow. Brandon on this on this podcast on record saying Rajon Rondo doesn't pull, but he pulls for his boys. Metaphorically. All right, Brandon, two more segments before we wrap this up. Let's start with state classy college football. Uh, the University of Florida had to cancel their game against LSU this weekend amidst a COVID-19 outbreak, 18 positive tests among scholarship players. I think I saw something like three other walk-on players got it or something. Uh, and Nick Saban also unfortunately tested positive for COVID-19. How bad is this for college football? Do you think that they'll have to stop playing? Uh, what do you think is going to happen now in the NCAA? So um, I don't think it'll lead to the end of the season. Uh, we've weathered two outbreaks already, um, and I don't see them slowing down. Uh, I think it'll affect teams individually. I think um, it'll affect Alabama. If no players test positive, Nick will miss the game, and their you know assistant coach will coach it. Um, my issue is the state of Florida as a whole, both geographically and just the fact that they exist. Florida has just decided the pandemic's over. They're full attendance, bars, restaurants are all open. And I think that the teams playing within Florida should either find a way to play elsewhere where they're going to be able to be safe from the virus. Or if I'm an AD, I'm not going to Florida. I'm not putting my team in the position to miss two or three weeks immediately after the fact. And the fact of the matter is, if you have 70,000 college kids, students in an arena, Besides the fact the team's interacting with them on campus where they can now pardon you whatever the hell they want, you're going to have tests all year. You're going to have positive tests. So I'm not playing a Florida team if I have the option. Yeah, they decided the pandemic was over in May, right? Essentially, after like a month, they were just like, yeah, we've had enough of this lockout shit. Let's just let everybody do whatever for the next six months. And whatever happens, happens. And I think I think that's a really... Uh, it's a really great strategy if you're trying to save lives and 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 not let these kids get infected to just let everybody go to every single event and not care about capacity or not care about masks or not care about being close to each other. It's a, it's a goddamn sham, man. It's, it's embarrassing for the state. It's embarrassing for the university, 18 players. I'm not sure how that happened. Look, I know the outbreaks are going to happen, but again, when you're Florida and you have not really had that many restrictions or lockdowns and you've been pretty open with, with how you're, you're handling this in regards to letting people do whatever they want, this is the kind of shit that's going to happen. So you and I are on the same page with Florida. I'm pretty much at this point ready to just get them out of the United States. They can be their own See, independent country. Saying. Yeah. How badly do we truly need Florida? And let we me don't. run through. Let me run through it real quick. We can get our oranges elsewhere. California exists. The South exists. We can grow oranges somewhere else. What else are we missing? Racist old people? I'll pass. Florida <laughs> sports, for the most part. I've lived this long without them being good. See you later. Um, the only thing I'll miss is Florida man headlines. And for that, we have Alabama. I'll miss the 305. I'm a big Miami guy. And actually, Miami is not. Miami's different. Miami's a more progressive city. I think they kind of know what they're doing. But yeah, the, every, everything else you said from the racist old people uh, to the very not great cuisine. There's not really a great cuisine in Florida. You know, they don't have good pizza or anything like that. Yeah, I'd, I'd be. A, we wouldn't lose much if, if we lost Florida. We'll, we'll talk to some people. We'll find out. We'll talk to Rob. We'll talk to the DeSantis down there. See if they get a saw and just cut them off. Oh yeah, yeah. He's someone. He's on. He's on uh, my top list to bring him on the podcast. I hope that's okay with you. I would love nothing more than that. <laughs> oh man, we're we're not a political show though, Brandon. Let's not get into politics. Let's move on to our final segment of the day, and this segment is brought to you by Game Day Tailgate Experience. They are the number one celebrity tailgate option. Search www.gtepresents.com. Look them up on Instagram. They do an Instagram live every Wednesday at 8 p.m. with David Lenter, the CEO, Jenny Dell, uh, CBS sports reporter, and they'll also have a guest on every now and again. So check out Game Day Tailgate Experience at GTE Presents on Instagram and Twitter. They are the tailgating partner for The Last Resort. And the segment is called World Series Prediction. Brandon, right now the Dodgers are kicking the absolute shit out of the Atlanta Braves. So that series will Good. most likely be 2-1 to one after tonight. I know that the Rays and the Astros will play game four later tonight. Um, right now the Rays are up 3-0, so that series could be over by the time this episode comes out. 
Uh, assuming that we both think the Rays are going to hold on and get to the World Series, correct? Yes. Um, so I'd like to yeah. quickly – I know I just got done shitting on the entire state of Florida, and for that I do not apologize. However, um, <laughs> I would like to thank the Rays for embarrassing Houston and not making me watch them compete for a title. That I have found one saving grace in your state. There you go. Um, I, yeah, I, I mean, the, the Rays are the only team in Florida that were able to take down the Astros. And I respect that, uh, the only team in, in the entire country to really take down the Astros. And, and we've been waiting for it. And, and thank God Altuve's got the yips, man. That is, I look, I don't, I, I don't want to say I'm happy that he has the yips, but I'm not mad about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. If it, as long as it's not a career ender, you and I both have a policy. We don't wish ill on people's jobs. Yes. But to watch him struggle this year, poetic. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, but uh, whatever they're doing, it's it's not working. They're down three zero. So I, I got I got the Rays moving on. I know you do too. Um, right now it's Braves two to one, but the Dodgers. Well, the Dodgers. So it's going to be uh, two to one Braves after tonight. I like the Dodgers to come back and actually beat the Braves. I think that could, they're going to hit them with everything they got. I think Kershaw is going to come in and pitch uh, a gem soon whenever he's healthy. And you're going to have a Dodgers-Rays World Series in which the Dodgers will lose again. The Rays will somehow find a way to beat them in the championship. They will win the World Series. And Dodgers fans, fake Los Angeles fans, will be once again disappointed because their baseball team is basically the 1990 Buffalo Bills. I like the way you think um, because I feel the same way. If you look at the parallels, um, we have an L.A. juggernaut loaded with talent who we pretty much expected will be here. The, the Braves have given them a little bit of a run, um, but we expect the Dodgers to be there at the end. And then we have this team from this young team from Florida who has just kind of run through their half of the bracket. Um, and I think, I think they avenged the heat. I think they beat the vaunted L.A. team. South beats, well, no, Tampa. So whatever the hell happens in Tampa, Tampa gets the party. Um, and I think, you know, order's restored. Tampa is known for great strip clubs, I believe. Not, not uh, my experience, not from experience, just from what I've heard about Tampa. So hopefully there's some COVID-19 social distancing strip clubs that uh, the players can attend if, if they choose to do so. Um, the, this the raised team behind that are fascinating. <laughs> this, this raised team reminds me of like a young Marlins team that won the world series in, in 2000, uh, 2001 or 2002. It was 2002. Cause wait, no, no, I'm sorry. 2003 was the Marlins world series. Let, let's get that right. Um, we'll get there eventually. they, they're, they're just, they don't have any players on this team that demand an, an assortment amount of money, right? Like the Yankees paid Garrett Cole, all of that money to come to New York, and what do they have to show for it? Um, they didn't have to pay anybody the raise, and they still have such a good team. They're fun to watch. They're energetic. They're young. They're just – they're the epitome of what you want to see in a baseball team. Uh, you know, besides the, if, if you're the Yankees or the Dodgers and you're able to spend so much money to acquire the league's best. Uh, so, so if they if the Rays are able to knock off a big market team like the Dodgers, I think that's something that every single fan in the majors can get behind. I agree. I agree. And man, this has been, we've had a hell of a pod today. I mean, this, we've always crank out quality content. Uh, but this one, this is a real treat for the listeners. I might, we, we listened to it when we edited it. I might listen to it once we're done editing again too. Look at you. Philly Brandon listening to his own podcast. I'm, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure That's this great content. I, I hear myself talk. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure you, you stay humble uh, when producing content this great. Uh, but yeah, hell of a pod. Very, very happy that we were able to get Paul Hembo Hembakitis on the podcast. He was a fantastic guest. We hope you enjoyed the interview with him. Please check us out on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, search The Last Resort. You can, you can find us on both. Tune in next week. We have some great guests coming up. And as always, Philly Brandon and I are here to give you our sports takes. And it's the last place you can look for legitimate sports opinions. That's what The Last Resort gives you. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.